Hi everyone, this is Lynn, welcoming you back to the Beirut Buzz podcast, brought to you by Beirut.com. On our very first season, we had an interview with Farah Baba, the communications and advocacy officer at the Lebanese anti-racism movement. Uh, on today's episode, we will also be talking about kafala and racism in Lebanon. Uh, this time, uh, I'm joined by Zain from the Lebanese NGO This is Lebanon, who has been helping domestic workers suffering from abuse due to the kafala system. Hi, Zain. Hello, Lynn. Great to be with you. Great to have you. How are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, first of all, can you please give us a quick overview uh, of Kafala so that those who are a bit confused about it can fully understand it? Yes, it's a, a somewhat elusive system, so it confuses a lot of people. Um, one of the reasons it's a system that's largely behind closed doors of, uh, you know, families, um, you know, residential homes and apartments and, and things like that. So it's often uh, very unseen, even though there's nearly half a million migrant domestic workers or traditionally has been around that many that, um, you know, many people can go to, to Beirut and not even notice. But the kafala system has formal definitions in law in many of the Gulf states, for instance, but that's actually not the case in Lebanon. In Lebanon, there's two primary things, uh, I guess three primary things that define it. One is the exclusion of domestic workers from all labor law. Two is the I think it's category three uh, type of visas from general security. So the way that general security administers it under the immigration law. And the third is the standard unified contract uh, for migrant domestic workers by the Ministry of Labor. Um, that being said, uh, we generally would argue that those things actually still don't give a, a very clear picture of kafala, And the reason is, is that the problems that we face aren't just that migrant domestic workers are excluded from labor law or that general securities immigration policies are um, bad to migrant domestic workers under the system. All of those things are true and awful. But the problems that we face are just that employers have free reign to do pretty much whatever they want uh, with the migrant domestic worker who's employed for them. And the Lebanese state will not take any action against them for doing such things, which can include um, up to you know, physical assault, sexual assault, uh, murder, uh, starvation, um, false detention and and the list goes on so we we consider the kafala system to be much more than kind of those three main areas of laws without about them because those don't explain for instance you know why an employer could keep someone like sajida 
enslaved for 10 years and then have no repercussions for it and not even be required to pay them more than $500 mm-hmm. for that. And so t- there's a sense which we see the kafala system as, as being something that's much more systematic across the institutions of the Lebanese government in uh, the way that it, it responds to these foreign workers or and often the, the lack of response to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so speaking about um, the NGO that you work with, uh, this is Lebanon. When and how did it start? Yeah, so we launched on Labor Day in May of 2017. The goal back then was much different than we are now. <laughs> it was much simpler. It's just to have kind of a website and a Facebook page where we would tell the stories um, of migrant domestic workers and their experiences and specifically not redact the names or faces of the employers who perpetrated these abuses. Put into perspective, Dipendra, um, you know, one of our co-founders, he served at the Nepali Honorary Consulate when he was in Lebanon. He saw over 70 women uh, go home in caskets, you know, just from um, murder or forced suicide uh, or forced untreated illness by their employers, things like that. And never once was a Lebanese national uh, seriously investigated or prosecuted for. And then, you know, even just uh, maybe a year or so before we launched, there's this really famous kind of documentary that was on TV. It gripped a lot of people. I can't remember the name of it now. But um, on that one, You know, is following a s- story of a woman who had experienced all these abuses in Lebanon. And of course, when it got to the employer, his, you know, his face was blurred out, his name was redacted. And, and you know, we, uh, Patricia, one of the co-founders, she had spent nearly a decade kind of going from, she'd been to thousands of buildings in Lebanon, trying to find the shut-in maids and talk to them. And through that time, ran into just many grave abuses and tried to do everything possible to, to get help for these women who are in those situations. And there's just nothing that could be done. Um, and so the idea was that if they're going to have just every kind of impunity that you can imagine, well, they ought to at least be exposed for what they did. And... You know, Patricia and DePinter, they knew that uh, the one thing these people cared about was their reputation. So that was at least um, the one bit of justice that could be had. But soon after launching, we got a case, uh, for instance, I guess it's been a while. The name is uh, not coming to my mind real quick, but uh, I'll say is a Nepali woman. And she had been in Lebanon enslaved for about a decade. Her family reached out to us um, a few years earlier. Her family had 
gone around to all the institutions in Nepal, like the International Workers Labor Union, the Foreign Ministry, etc., and nothing happened. Then a Nepali activist who works in Lebanon came through her family's village, got all of her documents, came back to Lebanon, went around to, you know, all the government organizations, blah, 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 to try to get her help. Mm. And nothing happened. A few years later, we formed, um, and people like them started contacting us and just said, hey, my... Um, you know, my niece, my daughter, my wife is in this kind of situation. Can you help? And we just, uh, well, we'll at least expose it to the public and try to bring pressure for them to send her home and pay her. And a few months later, she was home. So it was uh, something that had a, a pretty immediate impact um, of that when pretty far beyond anything that we ever thought we'd be doing. And that ended up becoming the main, very quickly becoming the main thing we're doing, we're doing. And from then up until 2020, it was a very kind of steady and somewhat extreme growth of just the amount of cases that were coming in and, and trying to deal with those. Of course, since 2020, it slowed down a bit, but... Mm. Um, so, on your social media page, you share information with full transparency, no blurred pictures, you only use real names, real pictures. And you said it yourself that Lebanese people um, really care about their reputation. So, have you ever received any threats uh, or maybe have you ever dealt with censorship from people in power because of that? Yes, lots of uh, all the above. Our website's been blocked three times. Uh, so that's why it's now this is Lebanon.org, this is Lebanon.info, and this Lebanon.news have all been blocked by the government. Um, similarly, there's, you know, we've a source who's in a high level meeting has told us that there's over um, 35 lawsuits that are against us. Part of the reason that we have these fake names and we operate in the way that we do is because, you know, we've never been served one of these lawsuits, but I imagine things would not go well if they had the opportunity to serve someone in person. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, you know, many of the employers have made just every sort of threat uh, you can imagine. Um, lots of, of death threats and things like that. But mo most of them are, are pretty baseless. Ultimately, we're, we're only able to do what we do because when we started, we knew that this was a very serious issue with the Lebanese state and with these employers. Mm -hmm. And that the Lebanese state would provide pretty unconditional support for these employers, especially the ones with more money. And uh, so Patricia, ironically, about a year and a half after we started, she was deported for Lebanon, not because they knew she had anything to do with this Lebanon, but because she had been um, arrested for going house to house uh, to visit migrant domestic workers. 
Um, and so we, from day one, we had this kind of security model of knowing that what we did needed to be something that uh, could evade censorship efforts by the Lebanese state. And that's what we've done. And it's been pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you ever been able to take any legal action concerning um, the, the people who call you for help? Because it seems no, it's something hard to do with all this censorship. Yeah, so us uh, personally, or, or kind of us as this is Lebanon, you know, we can't be on one side of a legal case in the sense that, you know, we're, we're not legal in Lebanon. But mm-hmm. we have referred many cases, and we're also trying some new legal methods now. Um, but to put it into perspective, and and this is kind of another reason that we started what we started was because it's a completely one-sided system. Um, the legal actions that are taken in court for that regard migrant domestic workers are almost exclusively legal actions that are putting them in jail um, for didn't commit. Mm-hmm. And that was even Caritas about a decade ago did a report in general security and high-ranking members of general security and judges that most of these crimes that they're accused of and prosecuted for and things like that are actually just made up by their employer uh, just out of spite for them. And ARC Halima was actually the very first case that we took on She was enslaved for 10 years by a Lebanese politician. Mm-hmm. And her, her case was immediately referred for legal action when she left Lebanon, uh, kind of about the third quarter of 2017. And her case is still just in the in the justice system. You know, it's still going through the courts. She's probably not going to get anything, or if she does... It'll be at the 1500 rate or something like that. But that's how all the cases go. There has been documentation by Human Rights Watch, uh, Legal Agenda, Amnesty International and such about um, prosecutions of employers or agents. And what it's shown is they're almost non-existent. You know, if you go back a couple decades where... You know, over that period of time, we've got in the 2010s, there's about one death a week, or the 2000s, about one death a week, 2010s, about two deaths a week, according to general security itself. And, you know, almost these deaths are pretty much exclusively young women. And so typically from murder, forced suicide type of deal. And so you'd think that there'd be some prosecutions where someone spent more than like a month in jail and there just hasn't been um we've and there is um the case going on right now uh with uh Meseret Helu who's a Ethiopian woman who's a migrant domestic worker she is also uh, enslaved for almost 10 years and 
you know, treated just incredibly cruelly uh, throughout that time and tortured. In that case, is going through the courts. But, you know, two of the cases that we recently published, one was a murder that someone witnessed. Um, another was a instance of physical assault. They were both by agents, uh, recruitment agents, who had been caught on and shown on TV that beating women in front of their consulates. And they were still recruitment agents. Mm. Um, so we hope this change, and it has to change someday. It has to change eventually. But as things currently stand, the Lebanese state will not take any serious action against an employer or recruitment agent, who, no matter what their abuse is, against a migrant domestic worker. Yeah. And not a long time ago, actually in January, we heard of um, 25 Kenyan migrant workers were stranded outside the Kenyan uh, uh, consulate asking to be allowed to go back home. And while speaking with Beirut.com, one of the individuals told us that um, they, saw, they sought the help of their agencies who sent them to Caritas Shelter. And what was supposed to be a two-week stay there got extended to several months of confinement. So has um, This Is Lebanon been following this case? Yes. You know, it's... I don't know if you've seen some of the articles. There's a, a one that came out pretty recently where we talked quite a bit with a journalist and she kind of presents the sides of the consulate, the Kenyan women and, and some of... Um, you know, our, our involvement and all that. But yes, the Kenyan consulate has had a pretty long and, and documented history of its abuses against the Kenyan women who have been coming through there. And Kenya is actually one of the three countries where women are still getting consistently trafficked uh, into Lebanon, even to this day. And so, and uh, Caritas detention or shelters or whatever you know are pretty well known as just being detention centers for general security for migrant domestic workers so it's pretty understandable why they would want to leave those centers but it's really just one horrible situation but it it's actually not terribly unique to the kenyan consulate most of the consulates for these young um, southeast asian or african migrant domestic workers are actually run by this old Lebanese businessman. Uh, one of our staff members, she actually did her internship. Uh, she did her master's in um, international law, focusing actually on the role of like consulates and embassies. So she did her internship at one of these and she quit. She said, this is just a business. It has absolutely nothing to do with serving the, the workers here. And throughout all of them, not every single one, but the vast majority of them, there's been just rank exploitation and abuse against the workers, even though that these consulates are their sole source of diplomatic representation in the country. Mm -hmm. So that, that's 
another aspect that makes the kafala system so bad is that they often can't even get help at their own consulates or embassies. Yeah. Um, so how can actually people help them or help you with your mission of abolishing this system and help migrant workers receive their rights? Yeah, we're trying to do a little bit better at communicating that more. I mean, for us personally, just helping us spread the news uh, of these cases, it does make an impact. It does help us in negotiating with employers to be able to get better outcomes for the workers who reach out for us. But also there's a lot of great uh, migrant domestic worker-led organizations uh, or kind of like community groups. You know, the line can be fuzzy, but uh, like Inulinio or uh, Lucy's, the Sierra Leonean woman who came out with that really amazing video with Aline back in 2020. She's back in Sierra Leone, but still doing some stuff with, of course, Sierra Leone and Sierra in Lebanon. Um, but I mean, there's many more organizations. I don't want to try to make an exhaustive list because I'll, I'll miss a lot of names. Mm. Uh, but trying to to reach out to them, to volunteer, to help, uh, especially since they are often migrant domestic workers in Lebanon. There's many things that they can't do just because of the racial prejudices and stuff, and especially Lebanese or um, and such are able to kind of help them in those sorts of places. It's not necessarily an easy thing to just hop in and do uh, just because of all of the complexities of, of the situation, but it's something that is incredibly valuable and, and can be very meaningful if um, you're able to put the time in and uh, really just kind of go in there with, with open hands. Another you know thing is just And this is is where it, it gets a bit complicated because you know Lebanon just has so many problems right now. You know, it, probably most people who are listening to this episode, either they themselves or or they family member, definitely friends, who are are suffering a lot from the policies of the Lebanese state. And so, how to prioritize? migrant domestic workers just among this broad array of issues but we do believe that that has to be an essential part of the platform as in a, a state that's trying to get out of this situation can't do it at, while also maintaining a system of slavery a, a state-sponsored slavery and and so ultimately Yeah, it, it's a it's a hard fight, but it's got to change eventually, and so we just have to do as much as we can to make that eventually be sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to really thank you for your efforts um, and for doing what our government has unfortunately failed to do. Hopefully this will change um, in the near future. Um, of course. With uh, the help of such NGOs. I want to thank you so much, Zane, for joining me on this episode today. 
and thank you everyone for tuning in. You can follow uh, This is Lebanon on their Instagram linked in the description and help get the stories of these migrant workers across. Um, the Beirut Buzz is available on all streaming platforms, including our YouTube channel, Beirut Videos. So make sure to subscribe for more and share with us your feedback.